Hi, and welcome to the August 2020 edition of the DebtWire Middle Market Podcast. I'm Bill Weisbrod, Senior Reporter with DebtWire Middle Market. Today, we're joined by Chelsea Richardson, a director in the Non-Bank Financial Institutions Group at Fitch Ratings, who follows public business development companies, or BDCs, which are key players in the mid-cap leverage loan space. We're going to talk about public BDC second quarter earnings and how they're navigating the economic upheaval caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. Thanks for joining us, Chelsea. Thanks for having me, Bill. I'm looking forward to today's discussion. Yeah, likewise. So um, just to kick it off, what are your main takeaways from the second quarter earnings season for BDCs? At a high level, we generally saw improvements in leverage during the second quarter, but asset quality metrics were weaker for many firms. So coming out of the first quarter and heading into the second quarter, one of our big focuses was on BDC's leverage since declines in portfolio valuations during the first quarter had led to an increase in leverage for most of the rated BDCs. And for some BDCs that were already levered kind of near or close to their targeted leverage levels prior to the onset of the pandemic, we saw leverage increase to the higher end or even in some cases above targeted leverage ranges at the end of the first quarter. Now, during the second quarter, we saw leverage decline for almost all rated BDCs given an improvement in portfolio valuations. And additionally, new origination volumes were relatively low and revolver draws from portfolio companies declined. So BDCs were able to utilize proceeds from repayments and asset sales to pay down debt and manage leverage back within their targeted ranges. So at the end of the second quarter, only one rated BDC, which was FSKKR Capital Corps, leverage remained above its targeted range, and that was partially due to continued declines in portfolio valuation for that firm during the second quarter. So while we viewed the decline in average leverage favorably, given the resulting improvement in cushions to asset coverage requirements and to covenants, the level of cushion varies among rated BDCs, and we do believe that there will be additional pressure on leverage and asset coverage cushions for some firms in the coming quarters, given the potential for higher losses. So from an asset quality perspective, we saw non-accruals rise for many rated BDCs, with average non-accruals increasing to about 1.6% of debt portfolios at fair value. And while this average is still relatively low, non-accrual levels range from zero to over 5% on a fair value basis, and from zero to over 14% on a cost basis within the rated universe. So our view is that we will see some differentiation in loss metrics going forward, and potentially those with elevated non-accruals could be facing some outsized losses, which would further affect their leverage and cushion to covenants. And then the last point that I'll touch upon is dividend coverage, which has varied among rated BDCs, but has generally been pressured in 2020, given the declines in LIBOR and therefore BDC portfolio yields since the majority of debt investments are floating rate. So we have seen four rated BDCs announce dividend cuts so far this year, although one BDC did actually announce an increase to its dividend beginning next quarter. But if rates remain low and new origination activity remains somewhat muted, when combined with an uptick in non-accruals, dividend coverage could continue to be pressured, and that's something we're focused on, particularly for those firms that aren't currently fully covering the dividend. 
So I'd say in summary, you know, we saw favorable trends in leverage during the quarter, but we do still expect some pressure to come given the potential for weaker asset quality and earnings, which we've started to see, um, which could pressure some dividend coverage going forward. So given the state of the U.S. economy and uh, what you had said about non-accruals, why did we see BDC portfolio valuations go up in so many cases in the second quarter? And do you expect this could continue for the rest of the year? So there are multiple factors that go into BDC's portfolio valuation processes. And while valuation processes are not entirely uniform across the space, all firms should be incorporating both market movements as well as underlying credit performance to some degree. And so during the first quarter, we saw portfolio valuations decline across BDC portfolios. And while there were some marks that were driven by concerns about specific portfolio companies, whether it be because of the industry that they're in or because maybe they were already having some problems prior to the pandemic, for most BDC portfolio companies, it was too early to tell what the ultimate impact of the pandemic and lockdowns would be at that point in time. So the majority of the valuation declines that we saw during the first quarter were related to the spike in secondary market volatility and spread widening towards the end of the quarter. Similarly, during the second quarter, most of the appreciation in BDC's portfolios were driven by the subsequent tightening of spreads as price volatility subsided. And while valuations have recovered from the levels that they were at at March 31st for most of the rated BDCs, they're not yet at the pre-pandemic levels. And I think part of this is because spreads didn't fully retrace the spread widening that was seen in the first quarter, but there was also a partial offset from credit-related markdowns for some BDCs during the second quarter, as this was the first full quarter following the onset of the pandemic and more data became available about the impact that lockdowns have had on portfolio companies. Within the rated universe, we saw net unrealized appreciation amounting to as high as around 7% of the beginning portfolio. And then on the other end, we saw net depreciation of around 1% of the beginning portfolio for one of the rated BDCs. Now, there are some differences within portfolios that can influence valuations. For example, Oak Tree Specialty Lending Corporation was a bit of an outlier in both quarters, given their more meaningful exposure to level two investments, which have an available market quote. And so as a result, they saw an above average decline in valuations in the first quarter, but then also an above average improvement in the second quarter. But even within the rest of the rated BDC universe, the level of valuation improvement varied during the second quarter, which was probably driven by differentiated portfolio risk profiles and asset quality. To answer the second part of your question regarding what we expect going forward, you know, we still have about a month to go in the quarter, so certainly things can change between now and then. But based on what we've observed today, I do think we could see some additional recovery in valuations in the third quarter market factors, but we'll likely continue to see more differentiation in credit performance, which could lead to continued dispersion in the overall portfolio marks between BDCs. Interesting. So what, and with regards to BDC's liquidity, how are the BDCs that you cover doing with regards to their own liquidity? Um, and any BDCs in particular 
to flag with regards to tight liquidity after after the second quarter? Sure. So liquidity generally improved during the second quarter. And in our view, I think all rated BDCs had sufficient liquidity at quarter end to fund any undrawn commitments to portfolio companies if necessary. That said, revolver draws from portfolio companies slowed during the second quarter, and many BDCs even received some repayments on revolvers, which benefited their liquidity positions. Additionally, because BDCs were more focused on limiting new origination activity and deal volumes were lower overall, um, as they focused on managing their leverage and liquidity positions, cash flows from investment repayments were often used to pay down borrowings under secured facilities, which freed up some additional capacity under those facilities in turn. We also saw a few BDCs that were able to amend or even add new facilities to further increase capacity during the quarter. There aren't any specific names that we rate where we're concerned about their ability to meet any of their obligations. I'd say for those BDCs that had more limited liquidity at the end of the first quarter, they took actions to bolster that liquidity position during the second quarter. So, for example, within the rated universe, FSKKR Capital Corp. issued additional unsecured notes via a private placement during the second quarter, and New Mountain Finance Corporation added an unsecured revolver from its management company at the end of the first quarter, which was then upsized during the second quarter and remained undrawn. New Mountain was also one of the firms um, that, when I was talking previously, that sold off some assets to repay their borrowings. And... So in the near term, you know, debt maturities for BDCs are minimal with none scheduled for the remainder of this year for the rated universe and only one unsecured debt maturity coming up in 2021, which is for a new mountain finance corporation. So aside from potentially funding some incremental investments in existing portfolio companies, there aren't any significant needs for liquidity coming up that we think that BDCs will need to fund. That said, as deal flow begins to pick up, which some BDCs noted on their earnings call was slowly beginning to happen, there could be some firms that are better positioned than others to take advantage of more attractive investment opportunities if they have stronger liquidity profiles and more cushion to their targeted leverage levels. But I'd say the latter, the current leverage levels relative to targets, is probably going to be a bigger constraint for some of the firms in the near term. So we don't have concerns about BDC's liquidity positions right now, but there certainly could be some firms that have more limited ability to take advantage of new investment opportunities longer term if they're still in a position where they need to focus on managing their liquidity and leverage. What are some remedies that BDCs have for um, maintaining cushion against those leverage limits? So, I mean, they can certainly pay down borrowings to the extent that they have liquidity coming in from portfolio companies. So I mentioned that some firms turned to asset sales during the second quarter, um, but it's worth pointing out that most BDC's investments are level three, so they are relatively illiquid and not always an option to generate meaningful liquidity. But the primary sources of liquidity for BDC's will be repayments from portfolio companies and then the debt and equity markets. Um, so, while the debt market certainly wouldn't help from a leverage perspective, it is an option for adding some additional liquidity if that's what a BDC is focused on right now. 
and following a period of limited unsecured debt issuances for BDCs from March through the end of the second quarter, we have seen access to the unsecured debt markets improve more recently. So three rated BDCs, which were Aries Capital Corp, Blackstone GSO Secured Lending Fund, and Alarock Capital Corp issued unsecured debt during July, totaling over $1.6 billion. And so that's a potential avenue that we could see some additional BDCs explore in order to free up capacity under secured facilities. With regards to access to the equity markets, that does continue to be more limited for most of the publicly traded BDCs. As of yesterday, just two of the BDCs that we rate were trading at a premium to net asset value. And while some firms do have shareholder approval to issue equity when they're trading below net asset value, it's not something that we expect BDCs to take advantage of, just given the impact that it can have on their stock price longer term. That said, there were a couple of BDCs not rated by Fitch that issued some dilutive equity through rights offerings in the second quarter. So that is an option that's there if it's deemed necessary. And one other thing I'll point out from a liquidity perspective is that BDCs do have the option to pay a portion of their dividends in stock instead of cash, which we saw BlackRock Capital Investment Corporation choose to do in the second quarter, and they announced that they'll be doing so in the third quarter as well. While they noted on their earnings call that their motivation was primarily relating to want to, wanting to boost their net asset value, it does allow them to preserve some cash as well. So in the near term, given where most BDCs are trading, I think we'd expect that the unsecured debt markets are more accessible than the public equity markets right now. Um, but if leverage is a focus, then BDCs will likely just remain focused on liquidity coming in from cash flows from portfolio companies and using those to pay down some debt in the near term. Got it. Um... So how are BDCs managing troubled credits in their portfolio, especially those that seem to be impacted by the pandemic? Are they working on amendments, deferring interest? You know, what kind of stance would you say BDCs uh, are taking toward pandemic-impacted portfolio companies and portfolio credits? Yes, we've certainly seen amendment activity increase. Um, for those BDCs that gave specific commentary on earnings calls around the number of amendments, it was generally in the mid-single digits, so call it around 5 to 10 percent of portfolio companies that were granted amendments during the quarter, with some citing a bit less than that. The nature of amendments vary, but may include granting covenant waivers for a period of time or potentially allowing companies to convert their interest from cash to paid-in-kind or PIC interest to help manage liquidity in the near term. From the discussions that we've heard, it seems that BDCs are generally willing to provide amendments if they feel that they're necessary but they're often looking for something in return. So that could be additional equity capital being provided from the sponsor or improved terms and pricing on the deal um, or potentially both. So I'd say we believe that amendment activity will likely continue in the coming quarters. We understand the motivation for BDCs to work with portfolio companies, which can particularly be beneficial if sponsors are contributing additional capital to help support the companies as well. But it is something we're continuing to monitor. 
specifically with regards to the conversion to PIC interest, to the extent that non-cash income, such as PIC, is making up a greater portion of a BDC's earnings, we'll be focusing on the ability to ultimately collect that accrued interest in cash later on. And so we're trying to get a better understanding of the types of amendments that different BDCs are doing and how significant they are and whether in certain cases they're just delaying inevitable losses. Yeah, that definitely seems like a, uh, a key factor, especially with regards to uh, PIC coupons, as you mentioned. So what are bank lenders to BDCs attitude towards BDCs as borrowers at, at present, as best you can tell? And what do they have any concern about BDC portfolios as the borrowing base? And should they have any concern about that? We haven't heard any discussions around there being a meaningful change in banks' appetite to lend to BDCs or any significant changes to borrowing bases. It is worth pointing out that within the rated universe, close to half of BDCs' outstanding debt on average was unsecured at June 30th, and the firms that have a higher proportion of unsecured debt funding in their capital stack will have higher levels of assets that could potentially be pledged as additional collateral in the event that asset values were marked down to a level that could affect the borrowing base. So to the extent that a BDC is fully funded with secured bank debt, then that is probably something worth monitoring more closely. Some BDCs have also been able to successfully work with lenders to amend credit facilities since the onset of the pandemic. And some of those have included increasing capacity, extending maturity dates, or modifying minimum equity covenants to provide some more cushions. So it does seem like the lenders are continuing to work with the BDCs throughout this time. One thing that we believe is beneficial for much of our rated BDC universe is that many of the larger BDCs are associated with a broader investment platform and these platforms have very strong and established relationships with a variety of banks. And our expectation is that the banks will continue to work with and help support these firms. Now for those BDCs that are unaffiliated with a broader investment platform, that lack of affiliation is something that we consider as a potential longer term constraint should bank financing become more limited for the sector, but that isn't something we've seen occurring to date. But we do believe that it's important for BDCs to have a diversified funding profile and not be overly reliant on secured bank facilities. And we especially think it's important to have a meaningful proportion of unsecured debt in the capital stack to provide some flexibility in times of stress. And we look for BDCs that we rate investment grade to have at least 35% of their total debt consists of unsecured debt. Is that just so that they have additional unencumbered assets, as you said, in, in times of stress? Yeah, that's correct. We believe that'll provide them with some more funding flexibility. Got it. Well, well, thank you very much for joining us, Chelsea. That was really illuminating and great to kind of take, take stock of the industry with second quarter earnings mostly in the book. So much appreciated and thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me. It was great. Uh, it was great to be a part of this and it's certainly an interesting time to be covering BDC. So Always happy to discuss.